Welcome to season two of HR Fresh Take, brought to you by Philly Sherm. Stay fresh with the latest HR trends impacting the Philadelphia region. I am your host, Dr. Joe Vasquez. Within the last decade, there has been a rapid expansion in the availability of and interest in artificial intelligence-based tools to perform HR tasks such as hiring, training, benefits, or even employee engagement. However, the use of AI in HR raises concerns given AI's potential for problems in areas such as data privacy and bias. These concerns are further amplified in the HR context where decisions can have significant impacts on people's lives. In this episode of HR Fresh Take, we'll talk with Jay Palaki, founder and CEO of HR Geckos, an HR technology and management company. She is also the host of the podcast, HR Bytes. We'll discuss the risks and ethical considerations of using AI tools in HR, as well as ways to mitigate these challenges so that organizations are able to implement this technology in an effective and responsible way. Welcome, Jay, to HR Fresh Take. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe, for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm excited that you're here, uh, especially on the topic of AI. It's everywhere. And I appreciate that the perspective that we're going to be talking about, which is ethics behind artificial intelligence and its uses. But before we get into it, um, would you like to let the audience know who you are? Sure. I like to call myself the chief gecko at HR Geckos. I'm the CEO of an HR technology company, a former HR practitioner turned HR tech startup founder. So I have an inkling of what it takes to be both an HR practitioner in today's world, you know, grappling with all the different technology that's being thrown at us and uh, being a startup founder with all the new tech that's out there and all the innovations that are happening in our space. So I'm so excited to be in the HR industry and in the HR function in this moment in time. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, time for our function and the innovations that are happening at light speed are very crucial for our function to become that, you know, real seat at the table kind of function in the executive suite in all forms and in all manner. So really exciting times. So, so happy to be in this industry. It's amazing. You know, our HR field as a profession, it's so young and, you know, not too long ago, we were personnel pushing papers and files and had file rooms. And now we're looking at the elimination of file rooms and now everything is on a computer. And now we're going into, as you said, light speed into this area. And for some HR professionals, especially given the digital divide and given the generations in the workforce and even in HR, it's a hard thing to kind of wrap their head around. And I would like to know, in terms of your opinion, you know, where have you seen the challenges in people kind of embracing or even challenging AI? Well, you know, I've seen both sides of the spectrum where, you know, people are all gung-ho about AI, ready to dive in headfirst and, you know, realize the the power of AI in the HR function, right? And then there there's the other side that is afraid of this imminent 
uh, robotic apocalypse that's going to happen like this Terminator, the Terminator, right? Like the wiki of Skynet taking over the world and our lives and doomsday and, you know, all of this dystopian future that they are seeing. But most of us, I think, lie in the bet- in between these two scenarios, right? And they're too extreme, I think, for anyone. But I think most of us, both in the HR field and outside of it, uh, even AI experts, most of them fall in the middle. And what I am seeing is that there's a lot of adoption of AI, but there's this cautious adoption, right? Like they are aware of the biggest competitive advantages of using AI in our function and also the perils that come along with it. So the challenge right now for us as HR practitioners is really big because we really need to figure out where we land in the near future, (laughs) right? Uh, Do we adopt and adapt uh, as fast as this technology is coming at us or do we slow down and go about the crawl, walk, run kind of steps to get to the technology that we really want to um, use in our function today. And of course, the challenge, as you said, is also with the digital divide. You know, at this time in our lives, there are a spectrum of folks who go from digital natives to having never used even a computer (laughs) in the workforce. I mean, all of these folks are right now in our workforce. And so how do we help and cater to each and every individual who is being asked to adopt this new technology? That is a very big challenge because, um, you know, technology is not just the tools that we are using, but it's actually the humans who are adopting. And that's the biggest challenge. It's not the tech. It's the human side of things and how are humans adapting and adopting the technology. That, that is going to be our biggest challenge. I know when I went to Sherm National, it was kind of what you were saying with uh, the different aspects of the digital divide where I had all these generations sitting, standing room, I shouldn't say sitting, it was standing room only at a 7.30 a.m. session at Sherm National, which is a feat. And it was also, I think, the second day everyone was clamoring to figure out what this is. And all I saw was different (laughs) uh, faces where it's like shock and an excitement and dread. So I definitely understand that we have that challenge into like the, if we decide to go ahead, the rev up and the kind of meeting people where they are to kind of understand it. But there doesn't seem to be a point person or a point area or even a company to kind of help an, an HR professional even decide, well, where do I go to kind of learn this? It's kind of like, well, get on the computer and learn on your own. Do you see that there's resources for HR professionals to kind of see if they can get on board and hopefully in their pace? So it's funny you say that, Joanna. I just attended the world's largest HR technology conference and expo in Vegas uh, this past week. Uh, I know our audience is not going to hear us till probably early in the next year, but uh, we are in October right now. And this was the world's largest HR technology conference. There were more than 500 service providers or vendors at this conference. And 
I think about 5,000 or more or 10,000 attendees. So Wow. I don't know the exact numbers, but yeah, AI was everywhere. <laughs> of course, the conversations revolved around, you know, how AI has uh, invaded our imagination and our workplaces and life. And when it comes to resources, um, you know, this is a new technology, although it's an older technology. I mean, believe it or not, AI has been in existence long before I was born. <laughs> and, and it has been evolving, but it's evolved pretty fast in the past couple of years. So there are a number of resources out there. I usually follow the In Machines We Trust uh, blog and podcast out of MIT. It's a podcast about the automation of everything. You know, it, it talks about the far-reaching impact of artificial intelligence in our daily lives. It takes listeners up close with the inventors and founders who are fueling the development of new forms of AI. So um, it's a great podcast and blog to follow. I also follow IBM Watson, IBM's blog, because Watson, I, I don't know, but if you, if you know about IBM Watson... You know, it's from one Jeopardy. Of, yeah, from Jeopardy, exactly. So it was one of the the earliest AI kind of in, inventions that caught our imagination. In fact, I met Watson at the Sherm annual conference more than 10 years ago, like 2011, 2012-ish. And I actually asked it to play my favorite song, and it did. <laughs> it, <laughs> so I was pretty impressed with this robot that was talking to me, right? It looked like a robot. It talked like a robot in that static voice. You know, IBM is one of the pioneers with this generative AI and AI kind of stuff. So I follow their blog uh, as well, and they, you know, have really good information out there. But other than that, you know, this is an evolving space and there are a lot of thought leaders out there who talk about this in the HR space. I myself am one of those leaders who talks about this. Uh, I have my own podcast called HR Bytes, as in the computer bytes and not HR Bytes Bytes. <laughs> God forbid that. And so we are all, you know, learning and evolving and sharing what's happening and how this is impacting our lives and our work and our workplaces. So, um, you know, I, I would suggest following these um, resources and then, you know, other resources as you come across them. LinkedIn is a great place to listen to some of the top voices in the field. Uh, I know I speak to someone called Ali Miller. She's a big woman um, entrepreneur and leader in the AI space. Um, she's been in AI for more than 20 years. Um, and so I follow her on LinkedIn as well. Well, I really appreciate you sharing those resources. I didn't know either about, you know, following the In Machine Retrust. I think I'll join that blog. This is really helpful for our HR professionals because, again, sometimes it's it's that new, bright, shiny new toy that everybody talks about, and sometimes HR is tapped to figure it out. And so this is a great um great information for uh, finding resources. So I do appreciate that. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things about a bright, shiny new toy is, is sometimes, yeah, we could do it, but should we do it? And I really wanted to try to dive into the ethics part of bringing AI into the workplace, especially when it comes to HR with, with sensitive information. I would love to get your take on that. Absolutely. Well, 
as I mentioned early on, you know, this is a great time to be in HR. <laughs> but at the same time, it's also a very challenging time because we're kind of walking this tightrope with AI as HR professionals. I see AI as both very beneficial to our function and also challenging to implement at this point in time. And this might change in a couple of months <laughs> because of the way at which it's it's progressing, right? Um, you know, as HR professionals, we are being asked to do more with less today. And because of that very fact, AI tools are already very invaluable to our work. Take, for example, streamlining tasks or, you know, working more efficiently and effectively while using tools like our own tool at HR Geckos. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do and free up your time as an HR professional so you actually can focus on the more human side of things uh, in the H in HR. But then it comes down to maintaining that employee privacy and trust and the data security. And that's where I think we really have to focus our attention on as well. Because remember, uh, in the HR function, we are the keepers of everything and, and we are the enablers of yes. everything. And when we are the keepers, we also, you know, I'm going to quote Spider-Man here, <laughs> with, <laughs> with absolute power comes absolute uh, responsibility, um, or uh, I'm maybe misquoting it, but that's something from <laughs> the Spidey movies that I always uh, think of when I think of uh, AI and HR. So as an HR professional, I would say if there is an opportunity for you to implement an AI tool, um, you should proactively look into how the, the person who has developed this particular AI tool has developed it. Is there any bias, especially in the data that was used to train the model that uh, is being deployed through the tool? And you know, there's several, I might be speaking gibberish here to folks who don't even know what that is, because <laughs> because AI, you know, operates on, on a set of rules and programs that we humans train it on. So, um, you know, it includes any computer system that mimics human intelligence to complete a task. So, for example, take a chatbot. You know, a chatbot is powered by an algorithm like a set of rules or lines of code. That's what an algorithm is. And then it is using AI uh, to respond to a query, to an employee query. And when you have more complex uses of AI beyond the algorithmic use, then it's called machine learning, where you know, you're know you feeding it like tons of data so it can uh, understand and have a more human-like interaction Say, for example, you feed a data on saying hello to like 1,500 employees, right? And, and you, there is an interaction between 1,500 employees that's fed to this chatbot. So the chatbot learns different ways of saying hello and not just hi or hello, but it'll say, hey, how was your day? Or, hey, good morning, top of the morning to you. So it learns mm -hmm. all these different ways in, in based on the number of data points it is fed, like feeding a, a baby, <laughs> right? And it learns faster than any human. So that's where, you know, we need to pay attention to what are these transcripts that, you know, the AI is being trained on? What is the model that it's 
what are the huge data sets and the patterns and rules that it's being trained on? That's where the bias comes in because it's the humans that are training it. So bias exists in human judgment. I mean, it's always going to be there. It's never going to go away. And the more we are aware of the bias and how it's, you know, being plugged into the data that's plugged into the AI, uh, that's where we're going to be able to, uh, you know, get to a better place with using the technology. The way you're saying it, it's almost like human resources should be the people loading the information because we're so aware of the parameters and the bias. And we're always concerned about, is it really being fair to someone? You know, we're worried about being deceptive or malicious. Uh-huh. So, you know, HR seems to be poised to be the leaders of feeding the content for AI. Absolutely. Um, especially when it comes to our function, right? So um, take, for example, the, the newfangled tech, the generative AI that has captured our imagination this past year with ChatGPT, right? All of us want to use it to generate um, different types of tools. Uh, you know, it's being mostly used to write stuff for HR practitioners. Take, for example, uh, writing a performance review for an employee, Right. Someone at uh, the company uh, Textio actually tested ChatGPT to check for gender bias. So Textio analyzed performance feedback that was written using the generative AI tool. And they found that when discussing a bubbly, like a happy receptionist, ChatGPT assumed that the employee was a woman. And, oh. and while presuming the unusually strong construction worker feedback, uh, it, it presumed it was a man. So, you know, uh, the AI has been trained by humans. And so it's taking historical data and presuming things. And all of this brings into perspective that we cannot overly rely on AI. We can use it as a preliminary point to say, hey, can you write a performance feedback for such and such without giving out too much information about the person or their name or the company they work for or even even any wrongdoing on their part or any uh, um, you know productivity gains or losses because of them being employed at the company without giving away any of that. If you ask ChatGPT as a starting point to write a, a feedback, uh, regarding a certain uh, employee, you have to be very careful about what it spits out, right? Because it's not a human and it doesn't know anything about this other human that you're asking it to write about. So it can be a great starting point to, you know, kind of give you an idea of how to start writing a performance feedback um, document, but it cannot be the end all and the be all, right? So we can't really rely on it. It's not human. So that's where I uh, draw the line. It's very useful to be used as a tool. It's just a tool at this point in time. And yes. we should really put that into perspective because it, it is not smarter than us. It can be used to augment our human intelligence, but it's not going to replace us. It cannot replace us, if you ask me. Uh, yes. So hopefully the fans of the Terminator series will understand that the machines cannot overtake us. <laughs> <laughs> I think in terms of using it as a tool, and also when you said about gender, I actually, I have doctor in front of my name. The algorithm in some of the social media apps that I use assumes I'm a man. 
Awesome. Just because I have doctor in front of my first name or I'm Dr. Joe. And I'm saying, wait, how do you, <laughs> you assumed that I was a man just because I had the, the prefix. Um, and that's happened in several scenarios. You know, people have been testing these tools, right? They actually asked it a riddle or actually an anecdotal kind of thing and said, there was an accident, a man and his son uh, were in the accident, but when they were picked up by the ambulances, they were taken to two different hospitals. And when the son was on the surgery table, the doctor goes, I can't operate on this. This is my son. And so the AI, of course, Assumed the doctor was a man and couldn't answer it, but then the <coughs> the answer was it's the kid's mom who's just like, yeah who's the doctor there. <laughs> That's why she says I can't operate because this is my son. You'd be assuming oh well they they took the father to the other hospital. How is he here and saying this right? But actually it was the mom who's in the scenario. So the AI couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, you can say most uh, most people couldn't figure that out either. I guess, like you said, <laughs> what we're feeding the AI is sometimes what humans can't even figure out. Uh, for what I understand, is so it, when it comes to ChatGPT, the data scraping stopped after a certain year, and they yeah. haven't done it again. I believe it was like November of 2021 was the cool. last time of the data scraping. So we, we're still missing some data even some recent data. Absolutely. I I know the most recent release, which is the paid version, the subscription version of it, says that it is fully, you know, current with all the data. But the free version of it is still prior to 2021 data. So definitely uh, not a good (laughs) tool uh, to use as the free version. But if you can afford the subscription, which is upwards of, I think, $29 (laughs) per month, which is a lot of money to pay a tool that uh, mimics human intelligence in a very bad way. I don't know. <laughs> you should try it. That is amazing to me that in order for you to get <laughs> the most accurate and recent information, you have to pay. <laughs> well, that's how they are making the money, right? That's how they make yes. the money. <laughs> but most of the students, and again, as, uh, as a professor in one of the colleges here, we're worried about how they're using it to use for papers, to write their papers, and you know, if we're trying to do current events, uh, they may be out of luck. Oh, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there is a professor out of Wharton in, in your na- neighborhood, out of Pennsylvania, who actually uh, put together, you know, an AI guideline kind of book for students where where and when they can use AI and where they cannot. Because it's really difficult for us to figure out who wrote any certain um, uh, texts or who did the assignments. You can't figure out if it's the human or the AI that wrote the you know assignment. So the professor, his name is Ethan Malik. So he says, instead of trying to police this, I'm going to give them some guidelines on how they can use the AI in their, in, at school in their assignments and in their homework. So um, it's an interesting uh, gu- set of guidelines that was published by the Harvard Business Review as well. So check it out online. Uh, I will definitely check it out. I also have a colleague that does a bio assignment where they write in their own words about who they are, which is something that AI cannot necessarily generate. And he matches their writing style to anything that they do in the future. 
to see if they have used any type of augmentation. Very interesting. So there goes all my dreams of writing that book using AI. (laughs) Yeah, going back to when I was at Sherm National, one of the biggest things, and you had mentioned it about writing a performance appraisal, was some of the mundane tasks about writing even an employee handbook. You just type in, write an employee handbook, and all of a sudden you have 70 pages. (laughs) And uh, everybody was so excited. But to your point, it's a tool and you got to be worried about what is it that they're actually writing and is it biased? Is it using some old language? Um, Does it not have any current laws that basically said, no, you really can't police that. You really can't say that anymore. So it's unfortunately for some folks, maybe uh, you still got to do the work, but maybe (laughs) (laughs) you still have to go back and do the work. Yeah, no, absolutely. There is nothing that can replace the human when it comes to writing an employee handbook, especially in our in our HR function. You know, like I said, all of these tools can provide prompts and, you know, help us kind of figure out like a skeleton summary of what we want to write, like an outline. But they really can't do the job that we as a, as an HR professional can. So no, definitely please don't use Gen AI to write an employee handbook. I mean, use it as a starting point, but please review it to the utmost before you put it out into the public. <laughs> and, and again, it's, uh, it's to the point of what we're talking about today regarding the ethics and uh, you could do it, but whether or not you should do it and realize that it doesn't replace the human side of human resources. Absolutely. No, you got that 100% right, Dr. Joe. (laughs) So I have one last question, and uh, it's kind of along the lines of regulation. So how, and hopefully in the many conferences and, and and your circles have probably talked about, that how can we trust something that's largely unregulated? Correct. No, there is a lot of talk around this. In fact, I got to meet the U.S. commissioner for the EEOC at the HR Tech Conference and asked him what he's doing and what he's building. So that's coming up in our future uh, podcast episode on HR Bytes. So take a listen to what he said. Uh, But, you know, there are some regulations out there already. In May of this year, the EEOC actually issued uh, new technical guidelines on uh, how to measure adverse impact when employee selection tools use artificial intelligence. So they called it, if you want to look it up, uh, it was titled Assessing Adverse Impact in Software Algorithms and Artificial Intelligence Used in Employee Selection Procedures under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That was the title of the technical guidance. And, uh, you know, it urges companies who are currently using or considering using AI or other algorithmic decision making in the employment context to look into this technical guidance when validating the employment tests and other selection devices uh, under the uniform guidelines on employee selection procedures. Well, that's great to know. I think, well, it's a very, very long title, so I will encourage our listeners to rewind. To get the full title. <laughs> Look, any, with anything that comes out of the government these days, it's a long title. So you got to pay Very attention. Very true. <laughs> Both in government and medical studies. They're all really long titles. <laughs> and, and then there was a local law, 144, in New York City. 
and this was implemented in July of this year. It went into effect. It's been uh, go- ongoing since last year to finally, you know, put this into practice, and it did go into effect on July 5th of this year. It's called the NYC 144, and the regulation requires that employers that use an automated employment decision tool or an AEDT as um, they came up with the acronym, to assist with employment decisions, they should confirm that such tools have undergone a bias audit. So you can you can look this law up and look up what this bias audit is and what it entails. And it's specific to New York City and employment and people who are working and employed in New York City, in the New York City locations, even if they're working remotely, if they perform the job that is attached to a New York City location, this law I'm not a I'm not legal attorney here, but I believe there's some kind of loophole here where this law may or may not apply to those kind of employees. But I'd urge you to read this in full or seek legal guidance if you are in New York City to see how this is being enforced. And I wonder if in your circles, have you seen any movement to have that kind of law or anything that could be local to Philadelphia and the region? I have not seen anything for Philadelphia, but you know, the EEOC guidelines take precedence if you don't have a local law. So I would urge you to look at the technical guidance that was issued in May by the EEOC. Well, thank you for that. And thank you so much for all of your information in in the short time that we've been together. I think I've written down 10 different things to look up and to, you know, research and to talk to my group in in Philly Sherm and other circles. And uh, so I really appreciate your time and giving us all that information. Absolutely, Dr. Joe. I love it when people ask me about all of this regarding AI, because that's part of my work here at HR Geckos. And I always ask folks to always ask the hard questions, right? When you are implementing any of this technology, Please push harder, and even if you're not comfortable pushing, continue to push till you find someone who is able to help you better understand this technology and then bring them into the conversation in your workplaces so that um, you know, you're making these decisions very well-informed. So thank you so much for having me. I, you know, I can talk for hours about this, but I'm going to stop now. <laughs> Believe me, I understand. I could actually listen to you and we can uh, definitely have more of a conversation about this because it's so, it's so new and so vast. But uh, we actually like to end our podcasts with a little fun question. And uh, so if you're ready. Sure. All right. So we live in the age of the multiverse. So we've asked our guests If you weren't doing what you're doing now, at least for you being the HR tech guru, uh, what would you be doing instead? Hmm. If there's another J in another universe. There are two things that come to mind because it's the multiverse and I can have multiple (laughs) avatars. So one avatar would be um, have my own little bookshop on a little beach paradise. Um, I grew up on a beach and I'd love to go back (laughs) to the beach when I retire uh, or if possible earlier. So have my little bookshop on the beach. And my second avatar would be that of a garden designer or gardener. You know, I'd like to design gardens like the ones we see um, 
um, in any of those French uh, castles in Versailles or even in, in England. Um, I'm a big, big gardener. I love to grow tomatoes and roses and other kinds of tropical vegetables and fruit. But that would be my second avatar. <laughs> Well, that sounds amazing. And again, I thank you so much for being on HR Fresh Take. We really appreciate all of your information. Thank you so much for having me. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and got some key takeaways for yourself and your organizations. Please connect with us on social media, such as Instagram and LinkedIn with our handle at Philly Sherm, or by searching hashtag Philly Sherm to receive the latest information on our virtual and in-person events and membership. Also, don't forget to follow us on your preferred podcast platform so you can be the first to know when a future episode drops. Thank you for joining us. This is HR Fresh Take.